All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's an incredible schos to be here with you again this week. And I know that, um, of course, our primary preoccupation is the learning of Sefer Tehillim. But being that we find ourselves just two days before Lagba Omer, I felt it behooves us to utilize this hour or whatever, whatever amount of time we have together this morning to be able to focus a little bit on the sanctity and the sacredness of this incredibly unique day. Lakba Omer is a multifaceted day with many layers of meaning, kind of superimposed on top of it. You know, understand that before, before let's say about, we'll call it, you know, 2,000 years ago, so Lakba Omer was no different than Lab Omer, no different than Lad Omer. The significance of the 33rd day of the Omer really comes about towards the end of the Second Temple era. Up until that point in time, Lagba Omer was just, not, I don't want to say just another day in the Omer, because remember, part of the entire essence, part of the entire essence of Sfirasa Omer is making sure to infuse meaning and profundity into everyday life. But there was no greater significance to the 33rd day of the Omer other than any other day. But of course, you know that for us, Lagba Omer is an incredibly unique day. And in fact, if you take a look at number one on your sheet, so the Shulchan Aruch says as follows. Shulchan Aruch says, Noagim ad Lagba Omer. Our custom, our contemporary custom today, is that we do not take haircuts. Literally, the staff means to take a haircut. Ad lag until the 33rd day of the Omer. Sha'amrim az pasku milamus, because it is then that we say that the students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. We'll discuss that more in just a moment. And then the Shulchan Aruch goes on with some other details. But if you skip down to number one, you'll see that I underlined a line for you. A strange enigmatic statement in the Ramah. The Ramah, remember of Moshe Isolis, is a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch written by Rav Yosef Karo, who was a Sephardic Poseik. And the Ramah, Rav Moshe Isolis, an Ashkenazic Poseik, adds his notes into the Shulchan Aruch whenever Ashkenazic tradition differs from Sephardic tradition. So the Ramah says, and what happens on Lagba Omer? Not only do we take haircuts, but Marbim Bo Kitsas Simcha. We go ahead and we increase our simcha a little bit. We increase our simcha a little bit. We amplify our joy a bit on this day. And if you think about this, it is such an incredibly strange way to phrase the day. What do you mean? Either either we go ahead and we increase the happiness and joy of the day, or just leave it alone. Just, 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 don't, just don't say anything. But what does it mean? That we go ahead and we increase a little bit of simcha. So to appreciate what's happening over here, I put a lot more on this sheet than what we're, than what we're going to really focus on today. I'm really just going to draw your attention to a couple of the first few sources and we'll build out from there. We have to look at the Gemara Mesechas Yevamis in number two. And this Gemara is a very well-known Gemara, for this is the story of the tragic episode with the students of Rabbi Akiva. And the Gemara begins with a very interesting introduction. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva says, Lama Torah Bialduso, if a person learned Torah when he was young, Yomot Torah Biziknuso, person should continue to learn Torah when he is old. Hayulo Talmidim Bialduso, if a person had students when he was young, he should make sure to establish students when he's old. And it is here that the Gemara quote Rabbi Akiva quotes the Pasik from Koheles, Baboker, Zura Ez Zarecha, 
Vila Erev al Tanach Yadecha. Literally translated, in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. Okay, so that's Rabbi Akiva's statement. Even if you learn Torah when you're young, learn Torah when you're old. Even if you have students when you're young, create students when you're old. Quoting the Pasuk from Kohelas, sow your seed in the morning and don't stop sowing your seeds in the evening as well. Okay, inter- interesting idea. The Gemara then launches into a story. The story goes as follows. The Gemara says, Amru Masar Zugim Tamidim Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students. Migavas Adan Tipras. From one end of Eretz Yisrael all the way to the other end of Eretz Yisrael. Vikulon Meisubeperek Echad. They all died at the same time. Mipneshelo Nahagu Kavod Zelazeh. Because they did not exhibit proper honor one to the other. So, you know, this, this, this topic of Shelo Nahagu Kavod Zelazeh in and of itself is, is a fascinating thing. What, 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 what does that mean? They disrespected each other, they weren't nice to each other. Remember, we're familiar with terms like this. For example, when the Gemara Masechus Yuma discusses why the base Hamikdash was destroyed, the Gemara says the second base Hamikdash was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. Now, Sinas Chinam, baseless hatred, baseless hatred, a, a, very, a very profound statement, hatred, animosity. This is very interesting. Lo nagu kavod zelazeh. They didn't act, literally means they didn't act with respect, proper respect one to the other. Which sounds like they didn't hate each other. They weren't necessarily nasty to each other. They did not go ahead and pull the rug out from one another, backstab one another. They just didn't act in a way that was befitting their station, their standing, and their position in life. Talmidei Chachamim, Torah scholars, are held to a higher level. Every Jew is an ambassador of the Ribbono Shalom, but the Tamit Chacham, the Torah scholar, the person who immerses himself in the Ribbono Shalom's Torah, is even is a senior ambassador. That, that person represents God even in a more profound way. And as such, that individual has an obligation to go ahead and ensure that he gives off the right image. So even something that might be a more slight infraction for a regular person, when it comes to Talmud Chacham, it's so much more severe. They did not give proper honor one to the other. So they all died. Now, we know this story, but sometimes stories that you know for a long time, especially things that you know even from your childhood, you tend to become desensitized to them. So understand what this means, that 24,000 students died. Just the sheer calamity, the sheer trauma to the Torah community, to Am Yisrael. And these were not kids, these weren't children, these were adult men. I'm sure many of them married, many of them children, many of them having children. So 24,000 students die. What about all of the widows? And what about all of the orphans? An incredibly overwhelming trauma for Klal Yisrael. What happens? V'haya olam shamim. The Gemara says, the world was desolate. Another very profound statement. What do you mean the world was desolate? Remember, with the death of Rabbi Akiva's students, the Torah world was essentially wiped out. It essentially, it's wiped out. The future leadership of Am Yisrael is wiped out. Rabbi Akiva was the Gadol Hadar. His 24,000 students were the creme de la creme of Am Yisrael, of Tamidi Chachamim, the future Manhigim, the future leaders. And now when they all die, all 24,000, the world of was desolate. It was empty. The world was devoid. Was 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 it was, was a huge hole, a gaping hole in the world. 
to Rabbi Akiva came to the rabbis who lived in the south of Eretz Yisrael and he began to teach these new five students Torah who were these five? Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua these are the five new students of Rabbi Akiva and these five students they picked up the reins they picked up the responsibility. They realized that 24,000 of the best and brightest and holiest were no longer with us. They redoubled their efforts and they took it upon themselves to rebuild the world of Torah. And the Gemara says, Tana, Kula Pesach See, it's interesting because the Gemara says, the Gemara says that all the students of Rabbi Akiva died during one time. But the Gemara doesn't tell us when that time was. So then the Gemara ends off by saying, by the way, by the way, they died between Pesach and Shavuos. 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died between Pesach and Shavuos. Okay, so comes along the Me'iri in number four. The Me'iri is one of the early commentaries on the Talmud, and the Me'iri writes, Kabbalah biyad ha-geonim zal, shebiyom lag ba-omer, pasca ha-misa. And the Me'iri says, we have a Kabbalah, we have a tradition, that when then the students stop dying, they stopped dying on lag ba-omer. That's when they stopped dying. Right, the, 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 the last Levaya was on Lag Ba'omer, or maybe on Lab Ba'omer, maybe on Lev Ba'omer, but they stopped dying on Lag Ba'omer. It was the end of the plague. Now you have to understand something. Why was it the end of the plague? Why was it the end of the plague? Because they all died. In other words, it's, it's not the Pshat that Lag Ba'omer came around, the Baruch Hashem, the Magaifa, the plague stopped and everything was okay. The, it stopped on Lag Ba'omer because 24,000 died. There, there, there was no one left. There was no one left. So therefore the Me'iri says, on Lag Ba'omer they stopped dying. And now if we kind of link this back to the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch says, therefore on Lag Ba'omer, well first of all, on a, on a basic behavioral level, we observe mourning practices from the beginning of Svira up until Lag Ba'omer, again, because to mark the period of time that Rabbi Akiva's students died. Now of course, <clears throat> it goes without saying that there is a dispute as to when exactly Rabbi Akiva's students died. Did they die, you know, starting Rosh Chodesh, up until Lag Ba'omer, or maybe past Lag Ba'omer, maybe Rosh Chodesh to Rosh Chodesh. So there's a whole number of different customs in terms of observing mourning practices, but let's just focus on the most basic one, the one probably which we are most familiar with, which is from the beginning, from the second day of Sira, or really again, it's still Pesach, but we'll call it from after Pesach until Lag Ba'omer. This is the period when Rabbi Akiva's students died, and therefore the Shulchan Aruch says, comes Lag Ba'omer, <coughs> excuse me, comes Lag Ba'omer, Marbim bo kitsas simcha. We increase our joy a little bit, or or we increase in a little bit of joy. However, however you like to, however you like. There's a small amplification of joy on this day because the death of Rabbi Akiva's students stopped. The magefa, the plague that claimed twenty four thousand lives, had come to an end, and it therefore again marbim bo kitsas simcha. So if you look at number five, I'll just say this out so you don't have to go back to the sheet. So the pre chadash asks a very simple question. The pre chadash is a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. And the pre-Chadash says, this doesn't make any sense. He says, Yesh ledaktek, besimcha zu lama. Why are we celebrating on Lag Ba'omer? Ve'im mishum she'paskul milamos, ma'bekach. We're going to celebrate now because the students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying? 
that, 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 that's the celebration, the absence of death, the cessation of death, that, that's why we're celebrating. Like we said before, do you know why they stopped dying on Lagba Omer? Do you know why they stopped dying on Lagba Omer? Because there was no one left. Because it's, it's not the Pshat that they stopped dying, they did Shuva, only 20,000 died, 4,000 were left, all 24,000 died. So it's true, the Magiva, the plague, came to an end on Lag Ba'omer. But why in the world would we be celebrating this, the, the absence of death? Why would we be celebrating the cessation of the plague, which claimed all of these lives? So the pre- it's, it's, it's a profound question. You know, think about this for just a moment. Think about this just a moment. You know, I was, I was speaking about this with someone the other day. We were speaking about this concept. And just think, we, we could give a very contemporary marshal. You know, when the day comes, when the pandemic is declared over, I don't know when that's going to happen. It feels like some people are going to be in a pandemic for the rest of their lives. And maybe others, okay, but, but whenever, whenever the day comes that we declare the pandemic is over, is there going to be a parade? Is, is, is there going to be a big simcha? See, I, I don't think so, because at the end of the day, it's claimed over a million lives. And at the end of the day, even Emirat Hashem, when it's over in one part of the world, it probably you see what's going on in India now, Rahman al-Itzlan, horrific, horrific. So you don't really celebrate the conclusion of death or the conclusion of a plague. You could sigh a breath of relief. And you see, I understand when it comes to Lagba Omer, I understand why the mourning practices are lifted. That that part I understand. So I understand you want to tell me we engage in mourning practices, I won't take a haircut, I won't shave for the first 33 days of the Omer because Rabbi Akiva's students died. Then comes Lagba Omer, they stopped dying. We could lift the mourning practices. That I could accept, says the Prichadosh. But to say Marbin Bokitzas Simcha, that we're going to celebrate a little bit, it doesn't seem to make any real sense doesn't seem to make sense. So the Pre-Chadash advances something absolutely amazing. And the Pre-Chadash writes, <coughs> excuse me, he says, I'm just going to read this to you outside. V'lachem, listen to these words. Efsher, shasimcha hi ahatamidim, shahosef rabbi akiva achrakach shalom mesu. The Pre-Chadash suggests that the simcha, the celebration of Lagba Omer, is not rooted or connected to the cessation of the death of Rabbi Akiva's students, but rather, the simcha, the joy of Lagba Omer, is rooted in the fact that Rabbi Akiva found five new students. So what the Pre-Chadash does is he kind of divides the two elements. There's two things that happen on Lagba Omer. There is the abs- there, there is the lifting of mourning practices, that's one. And then there is Mar bin Bokitzah Simcha, a bit of a celebration. The lifting of the morning practices is because the death of Rabbi Akiva's students ceased. Again, why did it cease? Because there was no one left. Because they, they all died out. But, the morning, but again, the death is over. The morning practices are over. You know, I, I want to I tie this back a little bit to what we learned last week. Do you remember again, in last week's shir, we quoted that when David HaMelech, in the, in the aftermath of the episode of Bathsheba, so the Navi, Nasa Navi, told him that one of the punishments that's going to happen is David HaMelech had an infant son with Bathsheba. And remember again, so the Navi said that the baby is going to die. And remember again that story. David HaMelech, while the baby is ill, he's fasting, he's sackcloth, he's laying on the floor, crying, davening. And then what happens? And then the baby dies. 
Remember again, they were all afraid to tell him. They were afraid to tell him. He realized something was happening. He asked, Hayalad Mace, is the baby dead? They said, yes. What did he do? Changed his clothing, took a shower, sat down, ate something, and everybody's puzzled. What's going on over here? Because they thought David Amalek was going to fall apart. Remember again what David Amalek said? When the baby was alive, I had the ability to potentially change the circumstances. Now the baby's dead. Now the baby's dead. I can't remember David Amalek says those tragic words. I'll see him again, but I'm going to go to him. He's not coming back to me. The tragic and overwhelming words of David HaMelech. So you see this idea also, when the Rabbi Akiva's students are Kiviachal dying during the first 33 days of the Omer, there's the morning practices. But then once they stop dying because they all died out, comes the 33rd day of the Omer, the morning practices are lifted. The Prichadash says the concept of Mar Bimbo Kitzas Simcha, the concept that we're going to celebrate that has to, or a little bit of celebration, that has to do with the fact that Rabbi Akiva went and found five new students. So let's talk about this for a little bit because I think herein lies the, the profundity, the profundity of Lag Baomer and the profundity of Amistral and the profundity of, of the resilience of people. So you have to appreciate something. Rabbi Akiva was the God Hadar. These 24,000 Talmidim were like his children, right? A real Rebbe, right? The children are, the, the Talmidim, the students are just like the Rebbe's children. So you have to understand that for 33 days, when 24,000 students are dying, what is Rabbi Akiva doing? What, 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 what is he doing? What is he doing? He's going from funeral to funeral, from Levaya to Levaya. And then what happens when he finishes the funeral? He goes to this shiva house and to that shiva house. And he has to sit with this widow and that And he has to go ahead and comfort these children, these orphans. This was Rabbi Akiva's life for 33 straight days. And by the way, it extended past 33 straight days. Because I guarantee you, although the Gemara doesn't say it, Rabbi Akiva took care of these mishpachas. So for 33 days, he's running from Levaya to Levaya. Broken heart to broken heart. Shattered life to shattered life. This is what Rabbi Akiva is doing. Now think about this for just a moment. This wasn't Rabbi Akiva's first run-in with adversity. Rabbi Akiva had an exceptionally difficult life. Right? First of all, again, until the age of 40, he's an ignorant shepherd. Right? Then again, a young girl, Rachel, falls in love with him, marries him, sees the potential in him. But again, she's cut off from his family. So once again, she's cut off from her family, excuse me. So once again, again, Rabbi Akiva's on his own. So he learns, but with incredible privation, Rabbi Akiva loses a child. Rabbi Akiva suffers. Rabbi Akiva has a really difficult life. Rabbi Akiva sees the destruction of the second base Hamikdash. Rabbi Akiva sees the fall of Beitar. Right, the, bar, the failure of the Bar Kochva rebellion. Rabbi Akiva sees a million and a half Jews slaughtered in Yerushalayim, and then however many again slaughtered in Beitar in the aftermath of the fall of Beitar by the Romans. Rabbi Akiva sees tragedy after tragedy. So you would have thought that after 33 straight days of Levanyas, Shiva homes, and sitting with the brokenhearted, what would Rabbi Akiva have done? What would he have done? I'm done. I'm done. I love you, and, I, and I, I'm your man, and I'm committed, but I, I, I can't do this anymore. I, can't, I, just, I just can't. I just can't. Do we know what it means to lose 24,000 students? Halavai, we should never know. But that was, Rabbi Akiva's, that was Rabbi Akiva's life work. 
that 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 was his those students were his life work that's what a rebbe has in this world right a rebbe passes his torah onto his talmidim onto his students and that is his legacy this was his entire life work so when those students died it wasn't just a tragic death of 24,000 of the best and brightest of Am Yisrael. It was the, the entire catastrophic demolition of all of Rabbi Akiva's dreams, aspirations, and his entire life work. Everything he worked for, for all of those decades, disappeared within 33 days. And it didn't just disappear. It disappeared and it left in its wake, right, an overwhelming sea of heartbreak, adversity, trauma, and pain, all of which Rabbi Akiva himself had to manage and had to deal with. So if you're Rabbi Akiva, if I was Rabbi Akiva, I would say, I'm done. Right? I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm buying a place in Boca and I'm done, right? I, I, I can't do this anymore, right? I, I, I've served you, I've served Klal Yisrael, I'm going to retire, you have to give the mantle to someone else. But amazingly enough, what does the Gemara say? What does the Gemara say? The Gemara says, after it talks about the death of Rabbi Akiva's students, it says, The world was desolate. Ad Sheba Rabbi Akiva Excuse me. Until Rabbi Akiva came to the rabbis of the south. And the, the, the commentaries in the Gemara point out, when did Rabbi Akiva go to the rabbis in the south? When did he go? He went right after the last Levaya. Right after the last Levaya was over. Right after the last funeral, Rabbi Akiva goes to find new students. This was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was the individual who at the end of the day never gave up. Do you know, you know sometimes in life you work on something We've all, I think we've all encountered this. You work on something, maybe you even work hard on something, and it's something good, and it's something meaningful, and then it just crumbles. Whether, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an initiative, an endeavor, a dream that I had to bring to actualization or fruition, and then it comes crumbling down. And the truth is, it's incredibly disheartening, and it's incredibly overwhelming. But what do you do when you see your life come crumbling down around you? What do you see, what do you do when you see your dreams and aspirations implode right in front of your eyes? And there are two choices, there are two paths. A person could say, I'm done, I give up, I give up, right, wave, wave, wave the white flag, I surrender. I tried, I put in the best effort that I could, genuinely, I put in the best effort that I could, it didn't work, as they say, it hasn't worked, so I just have to yield. I have to yield, I have to give up, I surrender. Or a person could say, this dream didn't work. This aspiration didn't work. All that I built came tumbling down. But as long as there is breath in my body, I will rebuild. And it's not easy to take that second path because it's really hard to start again in life. And it's really hard to pick up the pieces. And it's really hard to maintain your optimism and your hope for a better future when life has come tumbling down all around you. It's really difficult. But that was the choice that Rabbi Akiva made. Rabbi Akiva decided, you understand, after they put the last shovel full of dirt in the kever, in the grave of Rabbi Akiva's final student, 
He dried his tears. He put the shovel down. He dusted off his clothing. And that next moment, he went to find new Talmidim. He went to find new students. And that's, remember how this Gemara starts? How did the Gemara start? Remember again, the Gemara Meseches Yivamis did not begin with the story of the death of Rabbi Akiva's students. But the Gemara began with Rabbi Akiva quoting a Pasuk from Shlomo HaMelech, a piece of Solomonic wisdom. And what does Shlomo HaMelech say? Baboker zara esarecha. Baboker, in the morning, in the morning, sow your seed. You know what the morning is? You know, what the, whenever you see morning, we saw this in Tehillim, Boker always represents, you know, when the sun, how do you feel when the sun comes up and you watch a sunrise? A sunrise is majestic. Do you know why a sunrise is majestic? Is, is it because you're wowed by the science of it? Do you know why, do you know why people find sunrises majestic? Because at the end of the day, my neshama knows that with the rising of the sun, there is a brand new day of opportunity in front of me. That's what's exciting about a sunrise. I'm seeing the dawn of a new day, a day filled with so much promise and potential, a day filled with so many opportunities and so many. I think I'm just seeing something so pretty. Oh, so pretty the sun is rising. And meanwhile, my nisham is bursting with excitement. A new day, a new day. Do you know what a Jew can do with a day? Do you know what you could accomplish in one day? You could give meaning to your entire life. In one day, you could acquire Olam Hamba in one day. You could change the world in one day. So Shalom Alech says, Baboker, in the morning, in the dawn of your life, Zera Zarecha, sow your seeds, right? <clears throat> Do, accomplish. And you know, sowing your seeds, when you sow seeds, what happens? I'm sure you know from your extensive agricultural experience. You know what happens when you sow seeds? What happens after you put the seeds in the ground? And the answer is nothing, right? You wait. You wait, okay, because in life you have to be patient, and we don't often don't see instant results. But in the morning, in the dawn, in the beginning, it's exciting. I'm gonna put a seed here and a seed there. I'm gonna start this, I'm gonna move this, I'm gonna start on this initiative, I'm gonna dream this dream, I'm gonna put this into that. In the morning, do all of that. What's Erev? What's Erev? Erev is the evening, Erev is night. What's night? Night are times of adversity. Nights are times of adversity. You know what the nighttime is? The nighttime is when a major flood comes along and washes away all of the soil, including all of the seeds that you planted. That's nighttime. That's what happens at night. In the morning, I'm all excited. I planted all the seeds. Then the night comes, a flood comes, washes away everything I did. And what does Shalom Melech say? Literally, do not withdraw your hand. Keep planting. Keep building. Keep doing. Shalom Alech says, Ki Because in life, you never know what's going to work. Isn't that incredible? Shalom Alech says, In life, you really never know. You know, it's interesting, right? How when we start out, I think when we're young, we think about what we want to accomplish, right? Well, hopefully we think about what we want to accomplish. And we have dreams and aspirations. Because like, in, when I'm young, I think this is the most important thing. And something amazing happens as we get older, which is the things we thought that were important when we were young are actually not important when we get old, right? I, I, I often find that there's an amazing, there's an amazing circle of life. 
right? If you think about it for just a moment, right? Babies, right? What do babies want? Babies just want to know that they could be fed, there's someone to hold them, and there's someone who loves them. And elderly people, elderly people, what do they want? To make sure that they're fed, someone to hold them, and someone to love them. So it's almost like when we're infants and really old, we got it right. It's just all the years in between that we become exceptionally complicated. And what Shlomo HaMelech is saying is that you have to plant in the morning when life is great, but you also have to plant in the evening when life is difficult. You can't stop planting because you never know what happens in life. You never know what takes root and what flourishes and what blossoms. And you never know which are the really which are the right dreams to dream. What are the right goals to have? What are the right aspirations to nurture? I don't know. So I have to plant in the morning and I can't withdraw my hand in the evening. It's 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 easy to plant when the sun is coming up and life is great and I'm excited and full, filled with promise and potential. But what do you do in the evening? What do you do when life washes away your topsoil? What do you do when the earth overturns the very seeds that you planted? What do you do when your plans don't materialize? What do you do when life turns everything on its head as happens so often? It happens to all of us. The only difference is for some of us, it's dramatic and traumatic. And for some of us, it's a little bit easier and nuanced. But all of us experience life turning itself, turning us on our head. Shalom Alech says, keep planting. Keep planting because you never know. In life, you never know that what, what you never know which plant is going to grow to maturity. Right? You never know in life which things are really going to be successful. So you just have to keep planting. You have to plant in the morning, you have to plant in the evening. And then Shalom Alex says at the end, and ultimately, again, if they both, let's, if you're one of those lucky people who what you plant in the morning or what you plant in the evening both take root, Tovim, how fortunate you are. So I just want to point out, this is the Pasuk that Rabbi Akiva begins with. Remember the structure of the Gemara. So number two, Rabbi Akiva first begins with, this, with a statement of Shlomo HaMelech. Even if you learn Torah in your youth, learn Torah in your old age. Even if you established students in your youth, established students in your own age, old age. Why Rabbi Akiva says? Because at the end of the day, <clears throat> you have to plant in the morning, but even at night, when life becomes filled with adversity, you cannot stop planting. You cannot stop planting because you never know in life what plants, which plants take root and fully flourish. When nighttime comes, and it comes for everyone at different times, adversity, overwhelming circumstances, it is tempting to wave the white flag of surrender. But do not give in. Find a way to plant. Find a way to move forward. After Rabbi Akiva finishes the last Levaya, the dust, the dust is still on his clothing. He dusts himself off, dries his tears, goes down to the south, finds five new Tamidim. Now I'll tell you something amazing. Remember in that list of those five, two, five Tamidim, who is there? Rabbi Shimon. Who is Rabbi Shimon? It's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rashbi. The Tana Eloki. So you understand that the lives of these two men are very much intertwined. Very much intertwined. I don't think I put the Gemara on this, on this sheet. But there is a there is an incredible Gemara Mesechas Pesach, an overwhelming Gemara 
that, you know, Rabbi Akiva was one of the Asar Haruge Machos. He was one of the ten martyrs. <clears throat> and he was incarcerated for the high crime of teaching Torah in public. So the story, the Gemara relates the story that Rabbi Shon Bayochai comes to visit Rabbi Akiva in jail. And you, and you have to imagine this scene. Remember, Rabbi Akiva is an old man already. This, he, this is the end of his life. He's, he's, he's murdered by the Romans. He's incarcerated for teaching Torah. Who is Rabbi Shon Bayochai? Rabbi Akiva has lost everything. He's lost everything in this world already. And now he has five new students, Baruch Hashem. One of those students, Rabbi Shon Bayochai. So Rabbi Shon Bayochai comes into prison and he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, teach me Torah. Teach me Torah. And Rabbi Akiva says, no. No, 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 no. Because if I teach you Torah in a Roman prison, you're going to get in trouble also. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. It's not. So you know what Rabbi Shon Bayochai says? Rabbi, if you don't teach me Torah, I'm going to report you to the Romans. Now, a little bit of an empty threat. Rabbi Akiva is already incarcerated by the Romans, waiting for execution. But Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, was so, was so upset that his Rebbe wouldn't teach him Torah. Wouldn't teach him Torah. So Rabbi Akiva turns to Rabbi Shimon Bayochai and he says, Listen, you think I don't want to teach you Torah? You think, I of course I want to teach you Torah. And he gives a much, he says, More than the child wants to nurse, the mother wants to express the milk. Right, because if the mother doesn't express her milk, she right, she, it's painful for her. So Rabbi Akiva says, you know, Rabbi Akiva says, I'm the mother. You, Rabbi Shemayachai, are the child. I know you want to nurse. You want to suckle from my Torah. But more than you want to nurse, I want to give it over, but I can't. And Rashbi says, Rabbi, you're right, but you know what? If the mother doesn't nurse, she might be in pain, but the baby could die. But the baby could die. And Rashbi says, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi, if you don't give us your Torah, if you don't give us your Torah, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? And the Gemara then relates that Rabbi Akiva went on to teach Rabbi Shon Bayochai five lessons. The Gemara recounts all of them. Five lessons in a Roman prison waiting for execution. Waiting for execution in the most barbaric fashion. Rabbi and Talmud, Rabbi Akiva and his newfound primary disciple Rabbi Shon Bayochai learn Torah together. This, and Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, we know, is also very much linked to Lag Ba'omer, right? Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, different, different traditions. You know, the whole story with Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, that, that he had to hide out in a cave from the Romans. Again, we'll save that for next year, Mirat Hashem. Others say that the Lag Ba'omer is Rabbi Shimon Bayochai's yard site. But, but that, that encounter between Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bayochai and Rabbi Akiva in a Roman prison is so profound. Because that's it. That encounter, that's who we are. That's who we are. We never stop planting. And even though life has a way of washing away everything you planted, and life has a way sometimes of even robbing you of your dreams, and life has a way sometimes of turning everything on its head, we don't wave the white flag of surrender. We don't yield. We don't give in. So your 24,000 students die, Go find five new ones. You're in a prison for teaching Torah? Teach more Torah. Whatever you have to do to keep being productive, whatever you have to do to keep growing, whatever you have to do to become the best version of yourself, you do it. That was the legacy of Rabbi Akiva. And that's also the legacy, of course, of Rabbi Shon Bayochai. Again, I'm not going to get into Rabbi Shon Bayochai in this year. 
because again, Rashbi is is a whole is a whole different story, but it's the same dynamic. And now, if we loop this back, we begin to see the power of Lagba Omer. So remember again how we started. How we started forty minutes ago, we started again with a statement in the Shulchan Aruch, right? And the Shulchan Aruch said that on Lagba Omer there are two parts that happen. Two parts. There is the cessation or the lifting of the mourning restrictions. And that, of course, again, we understand that. Because comes Lagba Omer, ultimately, again, Rabbi Akiva's students stop dying. So I understand that. The part that was a bit enigmatic to us was the phrase, Umar bin Bo Kitsas Simcha. What does that mean? What do you mean? We celebrate a little bit. First of all, either celebrate or don't celebrate. I mean, you celebrate a little bit. And remember the pre Chadish's question why would we celebrate because the students stopped dying? They stopped dying because there was no one left. Remember what the pre Chadish answered? The pre Chadish says, no, the celebration, the Kitsas Simcha, is because Rabbi Akiva went and found five new students. And now we understand what the pre Chadish is really saying. Do you know what the celebration of Lagba Omer is? The celebration of Lagba Omer is the celebration of the resilience of the Jew. The celebration of Lagba Omer is the resilience of the human spirit. The celebration of Lagba Omer is the inner strength that each of us possess. Because if Rabbi Akiva, I want to tell you something very important. If Rabbi Akiva has the strength, then you have the strength. Then I have the strength because we are all cut from the same cloth. We all come from the same Ribono Shal Olam. Each of us has in the Shama that, as the Balatanya says, is a chilek eloka mi ma'al mamish, is a spark of the Ribbon Shalom. So, Rabbi Akiva is no different than me. Rabbi Akiva is no different than you. The only difference between Rabbi Akiva is Rabbi Akiva makes good decisions, and most of the time I make poor decisions. That's just the difference between a regular person and Rabbi Akiva. But the strength is exactly the same. Mar bin Bokitza Simcha, you want to know what the Simcha of Lagba Omer is? The Simcha of Lagba Omer is the ability to overcome adversity. The Simcha of Lagba Omer is the ability that even when you see life crumbling down all around you, that you could dust yourself off, pick yourself back up, and dream new dreams. Now again, I want to point out, a lot of times after adversity, you know, we like to think, pick yourself back up, and it'll be just as good as it was before. You know, anyone who ever undergoes adversity knows that even if you find the strength to pick yourself back up, it's never the same as it was before. This is a very important idea because, you know, I, I, I often mention this, but Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau has this idea where he says, you know, Jews are filled with optimism. That, that is our greatest koach. But you need to have grounded optimism, right? If a person doesn't have grounded optimism, they become a little bit delusional. So we have the ability to pick ourselves up in the aftermath of trauma and tragedy. Is it become the same as it was before? No. Anyone who's ever undergone tragedy or trauma will tell you that even if you find the strength to pick yourself back up, it's never the same, but that's okay. Who says it's supposed to be the same? I want to point out, Rabbi Yek, you know, what would have been, if, if, you, if you were writing this story and you wanted to write a happily ever after story, right? What would have been a happily ever after story? And Rabbi Akiva went and he established 24,000 new Talmidim. Ah, what a story. And everyone lived happily ever after. It doesn't say that. Rabbi Akiva established five new Talmidim. Wow. We started the story with 24,000. We started the story with 24,000. And we end with five. And we end with five. So you're right. Sometimes in the aftermath 
of trauma and tragedy. Sometimes when life washes away all of the seeds that you've planted, when you replant, it's not the same as it was before. But you still have to replant. You still have to rebuild. You still have to pick yourself back up. You still have to try again. You still have to push yourself to do more. It'll never be like it was. The truth is, as we get older, we recognize that with every mistake we make or every misstep or every setback, it's never the same as what it was. But that's okay. It's something new. Something new could become even better or maybe it's just going to be different. But this is the Ketzas Simcha. This is the happiness. This is the little bit of joy of Lagba Omer. The recognition that, you know what? I can rebuild. I can rebuild. And what a profound lesson. Because we all need to rebuild. You know, for some of us, rebuilding is from trauma. Person endures a loss. Person suffers a severe setback. They're ready to wave the white flag of surrender. Lagba Omer reminds me, never surrender. And sometimes it's not as intense. Sometimes it's just, you know, a lot of times in life, I wash away my own topsoil. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I made bad decisions. I made poor decisions. I went down the wrong path in life. I made wrong choices. I just made wrong choices. Nothing happened to me externally. There's no tragedy or external trauma. It's internal tragedy, internal trauma. Look what I've done to myself. And sometimes we make so many mistakes that we think that we have to surrender. Nothing good could come from me. Nothing beautiful or holy could come from this personality. And it's not true. It's not true. Even if you've washed away your own topsoil, even if you've ruined all of your own seeds, even if you've messed up your life and yourself, you could turn it around. You could turn it around. La'erav al-tanach yadcha. Do not stop planting even in the nighttime. This is the kitzah simcha v'lagbomer. See, it's not full-blown simcha. It's not full-blown simcha. Why? Because at the end of the day, when Rabbi Akiva found these five new talmidim in the south of Eretzio, it was incredible. But his heart was still broken over the 24,000 that were lost. So it's not full simcha. When life turns you on your head, right? When life washes away your seeds, when everything is, when everything comes, falls down, comes crumbling down or implodes, it's hard to be joyous, fully joyous, but I could be a shtigl joyous. A shtik simcha, a little bit of simcha, a little bit of simcha. Why? Because I can rebuild. And that's why, this, what's the symbol of Lagba Omer, right? There are two symbols. There's the bow and arrow, which we'll have to save for next year. But the other primary symbol of Lag Bomer, of course, is the bonfire. The bonfire. And that bonfire has many levels of symbolism. But on the most basic level, as related to Rabbi Akiba, what's the bonfire? The bonfire represents the ability to bring light even into the darkness. Because isn't that the entire message of Lag Bomer? Our great teacher, our great Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, taught us that no matter what life does to you, Pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and plant something new. No matter how dark your world becomes, kindle your fire and do something. Does the bonfire illuminate the entire night? It does not. It's still dark all around, right? You can't really fully drive away the darkness, but you could create some light in the midst of that darkness. Sometimes you can't go ahead and replicate all of the seeds that you had originally planted. 
but you could try to plant some new ones and make something beautiful. This is the Kitsas Simcha, the little bit of Simcha of Lagba Omer. So let us hope that Emir Hashem. As and I'm happy that we get to learn this today. So we have a little bit of time to internalize this before tomorrow night. And we have to go into Lagba Omer with a renewed sense of purpose. Because all of us have suffered setbacks. And so many of us, not even being consciously aware of it, have given up. We've given up, you know, people think that giving up on life means like you get into bed, pull the covers over your head, and don't get out. That's certainly one form of giving up. But a lot of times we give up in much more nuanced fashion. How many of us have stopped dreaming? No more dreaming for me. You know, uh, too much has happened. Too many broken dreams, shattered dreams. How many of us have stopped setting higher and lofty goals and expectations for ourselves? Because we're so down on ourselves. And we're so down on life. Right? We might smile. It's good. You always have to keep, uh, right? You have to greet the world with a smile because everyone knows that when you ask someone how they're doing, people really only want to hear one answer, which is fine. Everything is great. No one really wants to hear your tsaris. So we put on a good face, we put on a good smile. But how many of us have an external smile? that is masking so much inner pain. So much inner pain. Pain from failure, pain from loss, pain from tragedy, personal, internal, external. And we give up on ourselves. We just give up on ourselves. And comes Lagba Omer, comes Rabbi Akiva, comes Rabbi Shion Bayochai, and they whisper in our ear, I'm so sorry that life has washed away all the seeds that you've planted, but find the courage to plant again. Find the courage to do something. Find the courage to lift yourself up, dust yourself off, and create something beautiful. I maybe it won't be as beautiful as it once was. But just because it can't be as beautiful as it once was, doesn't mean it can't be something magnificent. We should all be Zochem Hashem to tap into and to experience the Kitsas Simcha of Lagba Omer. And Emirat Hashem, take that simcha with us into the days, the weeks, the months, and years ahead. Wishing everyone a wonderful day. And Emirat Hashem, next week we return back to Sefer Tehillim. Thank you again. Sure.